IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week. We review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we talk about the albums we hope, we hope, come out in 2022. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, he's verified on Twitter now, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Yeah, how I am is that uh, my fee's going up. Let me uh, let me holler at the Up Rocks guys. I want that, I want that verified markup. If we're going to hash out trends, they need to be verified nowadays. I just want to say welcome to <laughs> uh, the blue uh, uh, checkmark. Coastal elite, baby. Uh, Yes, thank you. We uh, we all had a meeting, and <laughs> I put in a good word for you. I think what put you over the top this week is that friend of the podcast, Chris DeVille, referred to you as my podcasting partner. Yeah, not the and, other way around. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so I think that put you over the top. I th- I not to. I don't want to. You know, uh, hog credit here. I'm just saying maybe that association was the thing. That the blue check mafia. It's like okay, we gotta let Ian yeah. in now. We, we 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 don't we don't want to piss. What we don't want to do is piss off Stephen Hyde. And I guess you're like the Joe Rogan in this like <laughs> in this sort of thing where it's like we cannot offend our corporate overlords. Like, can we really say we're hashing yeah. out trends right now if we're not involved in like a high profile beef? Because I think we could probably just make an entire episode of that this week. Yeah, there's so many beefs. I mean, you you, you talk you, you had the Joe Rogan reference there, and I believe that was. So we could segue into talking <laughs> about Neil Young yes. taking his music off of Spotify uh, because of the Joe Rogan spreading misinformation about the vaccine. Um, I saw a tweet actually right before we started recording that made a really good point that I haven't seen brought up elsewhere that when Neil Young was a child, he had polio and almost died huh. from it. And what saved him was the, was the polio vaccine. So... You know, I think maybe that is what might be, you know, he has a personal connection to vaccines. He's very passionate about it. What I think is interesting about Neil is that I'm seeing takes on this that this is very canny of him, Mm -hmm. that he he has his own streaming platform, the Neil Young Archives, which is like the least (laughs) user-friendly streaming platform of all time. But, you know, also this might be a way for, you know, Neil Young to sell more vinyl or more physical product because you can't go to Spotify, even though his music is on every other (laughs) streaming platform still. But I don't know. My take on Neil Young, and I mean this as a compliment because I love Neil Young, is that he is an old stoner (laughs) who doesn't think about the future, really. He just goes on instinct. So I don't know how canny it is. I don't know like if if he's really a schemer. Yeah, I mean, didn't... Well, didn't he just like sell? Maybe I'm getting him confused with a lot of the other like uh, boomer artists. But didn't he like sell his entire catalog to Sony or something? Or my that's Dylan. Okay, that's Dylan. That's Dylan. Did that. I mean? But I think I think he did sell half of his publishing. And the joke was that it was the half that has landing on water. <laughs> trans. Everybody's rocking. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All the second yeah. tier. Which Neil which records. you can listen to on Pandora. Or yes. Zaz- what, what's the like Zazzle or what's that other one called? Oh man, I yeah. don't know. I, I I'm not top, but you know, it was a good day for people like me, <laughs> who who just want to be surrounded by physical media. Yeah. We we could gloat on the yeah. Spotify users. I, you know, I think I did a tweet. Or I know I did a tweet saying, "Listen to some Neil Young CDs and cassettes That's right. right now." Just gloating. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of people like me in the Neil Young camp, yeah, I'm sure. I think the Venn diagram between Neil Young fans and, like, physical media enthusiasts is pretty much one circle. So, <laughs> I mean, like, if you want, if Neil Young indeed wanted to get people, like, because, I mean, he's lived through the CD era. If he wanted to get people to buy his stuff again, if not just to own it, but maybe even out of spite. You know, that's possible. I also don't think that Neil Young is uh, struggling for cash unless he's trying to get like a peanut oil fueled car off the ground. I know he's got a lot of like, uh, he thinks about the future, but like oftentimes like with albums like what, Greendale or something like that, where it's well, uh, yeah, it, like dystopian future sort of deal, maybe. Yeah. You know better I, than me. Again, yeah. I mean, you know, his last album was called Barn and there's a <laughs> documentary about the making of it and- you know, you you say barn and you're thinking some like broken down farm structure. It's like this immaculate looking 
farm. It's like in the Colorado mountains, you know, that I'm sure cost just tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to restore. Mm-hmm. I think it's from like the 1850s, this barn, but he put all this money into it. So yeah, so, yeah, Neil's going to be fine, even though he's not touring right now either because he's doesn't want to tour during coronavirus. Uh, so he's not getting streaming income, but yeah, he's got a lot of cash, uh, in the bank. I mean, you know, if I'm not, you know, we're kind of joking about this. Is the serious point here to be made that this is a sign that Spotify really is backing away from music in some sort of way that podcasts, (laughs) like they see podcasts as the core of their business. I mean, if you listen to IndieCast, you have to go with that. You know, it's like this is <laughs> this, this is re- this is really where the future's at. Like, uh, all music is really just a content creator for us. It is a loss leader for the podcast community. And you know what? Like, if that's the direction media wants to take, you know, at the expense of I don't know, like artists. Yeah, so be it. What if you know Saint Vincent put out a press release saying, "I don't like being made fun of on IndieCast, <laughs> Spotify." I'm going to take down my music or you have to take down IndieCast. Do you think Daniel Eck would side with us or with St. Vincent? I think it would be a close call. I'm not going to go so far as to say, like, yeah, definitely take IndieCast over St. Vincent. But uh, it it, it would be a tough decision at the very least. I think so. Uh, Can we talk about the Taylor Swift versus uh, Damon Albarn? Uh, Ancient history, it seems, almost now. But, yeah, we we got – like, what what is more IndieCast fodder than, like – First off, it's Taylor Swift beef, with which is like the oxygen which we breathe. But yes. Damon Albarn, like imagine like do, I, I, he had an album come out when? Like last November or something like that? Who knows? Yeah. He has albums yeah. every six months but, with some side project. Like, imagine just like talk like, okay, this, that, you know, this is definitely not to push the album. It's been out for like four some odd months. And, you know, for some reason they're asking you about pop stars. And, you know, this is, this is a softball question. Like you've. If you're an aging rocker, you've answered this question a billion times. And lo and behold, here you are. Like now Taylor Swift is like you are directly in not just her crosshairs, but those of like her entire fan base discovering who you are. Well, should we just say for those oh, who don't okay. know, like let, Damon let's assume Albarn. that people who are listening to IndieCast aren't well versed in Damon Albarn. Let's do that. Well, again, well, no, 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 no. I'm just saying like this specific instance yes. because again, I think there's a lot of people who listen to our show to get the news. They don't necessarily they're not to on, avoid not Twitter. The, they they do this to avoid the latest uh, pop beef. So yeah, so in the Los Angeles Times, Damon Albarn did an interview uh, where he was. Uh, I forget the specific context, but he was talking about songwriting and he was talking about modern pop stars. And the reporter for the LA Times asked him about Taylor Swift and uh, Albert said that he's not really a fan because she doesn't write her own songs. And I don't know if that's the right. Ra- I mean, there, there are avenues which you can levy, levy criticism against you know, Taylor Swift, such as, hey, this person is co-opting my 2010s indie culture. But you know the songwriting one's like the last thing you go for because well it's such an old man yeah. complaint too you know it's especially targeting it at a high profile female pop star yeah. say you don't write your own songs I mean she is a well known songwriter yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if you want to get into the weeds about like publishing how much does she do versus yeah. Aaron Desner or Max Martin or any of her collaborators I I hate that conversation it's so tiresome but anyway Taylor Swift. Saw this, took offense to it, and put Auburn on blast on Twitter. Yep. And Auburn apologized. Real quick. <laughs> really quick. And he threw the reporter under the bus, of course, of course <laughs> saying, you know, I was taken out of context, even though when you read the interview, it's a Q&A, and he's answering at length. I don't know what was taken did out it, of context. Did it there. say it at the like... end of the article this uh, that this interview has been condensed and uh, shortened for clarity? Like, I love that, like, little... I love that little, uh, you know, notice they always have to give at the end of the interview just to make sure that, like, you didn't include all the uhs or likes. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's all that ever means. You're taking out the ums. Yeah. You're taking off, like, that the, the sentence that someone started and didn't finish. You know, it's, it's basically just to edit the interview, so... You can read it and have it make sense. Um, my main interest in this feud was, wasn't was about Damon Albarn insulting uh, 
Taylor Swift. It was that Damon Albarn was being shit on yes. constantly. And as an Oasis fan, <laughs> I loved it. Uh, I was purely just going back to, you know, old school blood beef from the Britpop world. Yeah. So, so for that, I enjoyed it. I, that was that was my only interest in this was seeing Damon Albarn <laughs> getting pantsed and dunked on repeatedly. Wasn't there like, didn't like the president of Chile, like, okay, yeah, this, this guy show up in her mentions yeah. and like, he, like everyone was sucking up to Taylor Swift, you know, and, and just dunking on Damon Albarn. It was, I mean, it was, it was a terrible day for Damon Yeah, Albarn. I'm thinking about the fact that, and I can't believe I'm saying this sentence, and, but like the president of Chile is a well-known like Deftones tool like Nine Inch yes. Nails type fan, but it's oh yes. man, just he's probably he's probably listening to the show. Yeah. <laughs> he's probably an IndieCast listener. Yeah, shout shout out um, to you. Um, which you know, hey, if you're listening, yeah, uh, you know that looked like a little desperate. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I, we're saying this as your parasocial friends here, President of Chile. Which we should probably learn his name. We could really crack the southern hemisphere with that, you know. Like I, I really think that that's our way into the southern to the South American market. You know, we've got Australia down, but like South America, real growth territory for IndieCast. But you know, for me, you know, and you took a shot at yes, me I did for this in the DMs. <laughs> The Aaron Rodgers debacle. Yeah, and he was afterwards like, "People want to see our team lose because I'm unvaccinated." It's like, yeah, that's exactly it, dude. <laughs> Yeah, he he got demolished. I mean, way more than Damon Albarn did. Albarn had a bad day, but Rodgers just got destroyed. Yeah. After the Packers choked yet again yeah. in the playoffs. And look, look, we don't need to go this isn't sports cast, so I don't need to talk about Aaron Rodgers too much, but I'll just say I'm relieved that the season is over. I was <laughs> sad at first, but it was it, it was hard. Yeah. This was like the best of times and worst of times this season for Packers fans. Um, one thing I thought was interesting, and you and I were talking about this before the podcast because we both noticed this. One thing that was re- unremarked upon in the Damon Albarn interview mm-hmm. is that he slams da- Taylor Swift, but then which pop star does he praise? Yeah, and if you and if you've been paying attention to any aging uh, rock artist interview, you know they all love Billie Eilish. Like that is yes, he loves Billie Eilish. Yeah, I interviewed um, you know an, another like the the interviews happening in a couple weeks, but like I interviewed a guy in a band from a very very popular uh, late '90s new metal band, and also. This guy loves Billie Eilish. Um, yeah, that gets- everyone knows who you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, it's either Fred Durst or somebody else, yeah. and I'm, I'm guessing it's not Fred it, Durst. Oh, fuck, uh, man. I, I should be. But, so but, we'll, we'll, but we'll just keep it under wrap. Yeah. I mean, but I think we all know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I mean, Dave Grohl yeah. has talked about Billie Eilish. Eddie Vedder has talked about yeah. Billie Eilish. I think. Uh, Which you know, you know good. Like, Bill, look, Billy Joe Armstrong. I think yes, did like absolutely. a co-interview with her in, in Which, Rolling Stone. Which you know, like, great, like she does deserve that praise. But it, it, there's just there, there's something just like a little canned about that response. It's like you know, she's the new Kurt Cobain, or she's like right. the real rock star. And it's just the way that like they say it. Um, like, I would really love for them to like you know talk about what they like about her or like the songs, rather than just like making these like you know, kind of like stump speeches about like how this is the real rock and roll, you know? Yeah, you know, it, it actually reminded me of that McSweeney's article that was published, I think a week or two oh, ago, God. where it, it was about the sad dads Ugh. and like the corresponding oh. indie rock band. I actually thought that story was like oh. pretty well written, mm. but my my criticism of it is that I really think that if you talk to like the 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 kinds of dads who are, you know, satirized in that article, they're not going to talk about the national. They're going to talk to you about how much they love Billie Eilish and Olivia Rodrigo. That's correct. Like that is, <laughs> that's like what the hip, like 45 year old guy is going to be talking about, about how, uh, you know, listening to driver's license. Uh, it reminded me of listening the same... to Dookie on CD, you know? <laughs> yes, exactly. It reminds me of the first time I saw the smells like teen spirit video, <laughs> Uh, on MTV, when I heard "Driver's License" yeah. or when I heard that first Billie Eilish record, yeah. uh, that's what that guy—that sort of cliche, kind of hip mid forties dad—is going on. About I, I can't now. believe McSweeney's wasn't on the cutting edge of humor in twenty twenty two. That article—I don't know—that article was sent to me like twenty oh, times. Yeah, so many times, and 
Like I feel, I almost feel like secondhand embarrassment for the people who thought I might find this to be funny, but <laughs> we won't get into that. I can't, I'm going I'm to I'm stop I, here in case, like in case like any of the people who sent it to me are listening. I thought it was pretty well done for what it was. I'm just saying, I think that the next level of that story would have talked about how 45 year old guys living in Brooklyn just want to talk about how much they relate to Olivia Rodrigo and Billie Eilish. Cause I think that's the new cliche for that yeah. demographic. Um, do we want to talk about an old feud coming back this week? Oh yeah. Cause Auburn versus Swift, that's new, yeah. but Morrissey versus Johnny Marr. <laughs> more. This one was more, great. <laughs> more. This, this just hasn't stopped giving for like 35 years. Yeah. Because, because Morrissey, he puts out an open letter on his website, I guess, <laughs> saying, Johnny Marr, stop talking about me in every interview. Keep my name uh, out of your mouth. Oh, Keep my name out of your mouth. It's like, we haven't known each other, you know, since the 80s. No, we, let's, let's, we got to say this first. Like, it's, it's a Morrissey open letter, and here is the first line of it. This is not a rant or an hysterical bombast. Like, first off, uh, A-N hysterical bombast like what a what a morrissey way to begin something like this guy is what a writer so, yeah this guy is so on brand I at mean, all like, times look, morrissey he's problematic but still a good writer that, that, that's 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 such a morrissey yeah, this line. open letter was the best thing it. he's done like probably since <laughs> uh you know the more you ignore you are the me quarry. the closer you get or whatever you want to <laughs> the last of the gang to die whatever you want to call it. like whatever whatever was the last thing that like you could unequivocally say oh yeah morrissey is like doing his thing like this this was just fan fucking tastic i mean in fairness to johnny marr my suspicion is that when people interview him mm-hmm. He's not just volunteering takes on Morrissey yeah. that reporters are asking him about Morrissey because what's the alternative? Are you, are you going to ask Johnny Marr about his latest solo record? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, actually, let's be honest. Actually, Morrissey not, says this. It's like this This part's great. It's like, would you please instead discuss your own career, your own unstoppable solo achievements, <laughs> and your own music? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard any one as dismissive of another human being. Like I, I think of like all of like, you know, the, the, like Jay-Z, the takeover or like ether or like any hip hop diss track that you can think of this, this just all makes these seem like Hallmark cards, like your own unstoppable solo achievements. See, you should name his next record that like Johnny Marr, unstoppable solo achievements. I was going to say that, like, this open letter, it should be divided into, you know, maybe four parts, and Johnny Marr should just write guitar riffs to, like, sections of that letter, and you could have some, like, new, great Morrissey Marr songs, because there's some very quotable lines in this letter, like, they could be song lyrics. Maybe this is the, you know, that would be a great troll move by Johnny Marr. It's like, I'm going to take this letter, I'm going to write some jangly you know, pop hooks to this and it's going to be the best thing um, since the queen is dead, you know, like it'll be the comeback record for both of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I just feel like, you know, Morrissey, obviously he's, there's some controversy with him all yes. the time. And I'm sure that when reporters are talking to Johnny Marr, you know, once you get past the, the first couple sort of courtesy questions about your new record. It's like, oh, what does this record say about you now? Like, oh, what do you, why'd you work with this producer? It's like, okay, we got that out of the way. Morrissey uh, just said something horribly racist. What do you think about yeah. that? I mean, and that's going to be the best part of the interview. It's going to be the part that everyone pulls out and and, and cares about. And that's not necessarily Johnny Marr's fault. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can see both sides of this. I understand why Morrissey would be annoyed. Uh, over this, but yeah, I love it. I, w- I was so glad uh, to see this revived. Um, how weird must it be to be associated with something you did almost 40 years ago, like a band that you were in for like maybe five or six years, and that's all, and you know that's like the main thing people care about. You know, and, and, that, and that's not specific to these guys. It's like many, yeah, many music legends, but uh, that just that, that just seems so like weird. Yeah, I don't I me. don't know, man. I, if I was Johnny Marr, I'd probably you know find a way to you know process and be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, he seems. I mean, Johnny Marr seems like a pretty chill. Yeah. What about the dude. other two people in the band? 
I mean, well, they're they're not like making music as far as I know as publicly as Johnny Marr. So, like, a yeah. I want to I'll probably have to go ahead and learn the name of the bassist from the Smiths to you know comment upon them. It's uh, is Andy Rourke that's, the drummer? Yeah, that or, sounds about right. And uh, I'm blanking on. Of course uh, you are. Yeah, the, the 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 rhythm section. I'm I'm yeah I'm fuzzy on <laughs> in the Smiths. Um, we have to bring up the Lana Del Rey <laughs> army ad. This is my too, favorite, right? man. There's so much banter this week. This is like overflow. It's like this is January, and we had so much to talk yeah. about this week. It's unbelievable. Yeah, we don't even get to have time to talk about the emos not dead cruise. So hopefully, when ho- hopefully something goes incredibly wrong with that next week, so we can you know have some banter. But to, to what what ha- what happened was uh, the army's um, Twitter. Like like the actual army, not like a parody account, not like uh, one of the lesser military branches. But it quoted Lana, a Lana Del Rey lyric with a soldier like kind of crawling on his elbows. Um, I mean, like I, I know that for, it it doesn't matter what the social media, it doesn't matter what the Twitter feed is. Like the like the person in charge of the social media is probably like some twenty four year old NYU grad who's just looking to boost the CV to get to the next thing. And, uh, you know, uh, I I mean, back in my days, I, I just remember the Army would use, like, Three Doors Down videos as recruiting tools. Like, you would go to the movies and, like, When I'm Gone would play before you went and saw, like, Fast and Furious 2 or whatever. Now it's, I mean, is the Army having this much trouble finding recruits that they need to kind of go after, like, the Stan Armies? I don't know. You know, I was trying to find the origin of this quote because the quote is being brave means knowing that when you f- when you fail, you don't fail forever. Because that's not a song lyric, I don't think. I, 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 like I Googled it and it's just attributed as a quote from her. So I don't know if she said that in an interview or something or, or oh, God, I don't know. wait a minute. Do we get like pranked by a parody account? This was the actual army's. No, I'm no, I'm just okay. no. It was the army. I just wonder if the army, if it's like you know, like how any kind of uh, edgy quote about politics is always attributed to George Carlin, yes. and it's never George Carlin. It's just something somebody made up, and then they said George Carlin said it. Like I wonder if that's similar to this, no. where uh, if if it's just like an apocryphal <laughs> quote, because like when I googled it, all it did was lead to websites of quotes. It didn't lead to an interview, <laughs> and it didn't lead to a song. So I don't know, like maybe IndieCast Nation, if you can track down the origin of this quote, I wonder if it's even a real Lana Del Rey quote. But that aside, whether it's real or not, the army felt that a <laughs> Lana Del Rey quote, real or not, would help in recruiting people. Yeah, we used to be and, a country, a proper country, you know. But uh, yeah, Lana Del Rey, again, like this is not something that she orchestrated, presumably. Although who yeah, knows? Who Maybe she has reach into the Pentagon. Maybe this is just I don't like know. another way of her playing up, you know, typical American masculinity as like uh, like a, a theme on her albums. You know, because didn't she like date a TV cop or something like that? I think he was a real oh, cop. Yeah, but like a cop who, like a real cop who was on TV. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there was that story, and uh, of course there was lots of gnashing of teeth over yeah. that. People felt betrayed by Lana Del Rey who's always speaking out against the police. And then, as we all yeah. know. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those... I, you sent this to me, and I was like, oh man, this is this is another one of those things that I feel like we will into the world sometimes, <laughs> our show. Yeah, so remember that. Remember that. Uh, I, I want to say Phil Eck, but they, that's the guy who produced the uh, Built to Spill albums. Like, when it comes down to us and St. Vincent, like, I want you to remember it's this. Daniel Eck. Daniel Eck. Yeah, okay. Daniel Eck. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's Phil Eck. <laughs> Look for who the album is the, on the cover. <laughs> this indie rock producer and Daniel Eck. I don't think there's a relation there. Eck just must be a common name in uh, Sweden. I don't know. Phil Eck, Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Daniel Eck, Sweden. Uh, don't confuse the two. Uh, speaking of producers, yes. Oh my god. This, this, this leads into our IndieCast question of the week from the mailbag. Yeah. And uh, thank you all for writing in, by the way. It's always great to hear from our listeners. You can hit us up at IndieCastMailbag at uh, gmail.com. I'm going to read this question because I want to hear your... Actually, do you want to read this or should uh, I read this? I'll just go ahead and read it. So okay. um, so this comes to us from John G. 
no uh no location okay just i think i think he did i i asked in a follow-up okay. for his location keep reading i'll, I'll right. i'm gonna look right. this up and i'll say it from the indie cat the indie the indie cast fear so hi ian and steve since someone already beat me to my last question i thought i'd take a crack at another one i want to know which album you think would have benefited most from a different producer this question came to me this past week when I was listening to Cloud Nothing's Attack on Memory, which turned 10. And I've always felt this album, good as it is, was held back by Steve Albini's stripped-down black-and-white production. I actually like his Woo! production in other contexts, but I think in these songs in particular, could have used some brightness and polish to make them pop. Woo! Um, look, man, like, I, we've been doing this for, like, of all the, I mean... Of all the wrong takes I've heard on this podcast, uh, God, okay. First off, like, I get it. Like, I don't know. Maybe if, like, you, maybe if you think that, like, the Cloud Nothings were trying to make, like, a, like a, like a, you know, a Dookie type album or whatever. But like, not only does, um, you know, Steve Albini's production like really work well with what they were trying to do here, but. The, he is so intrinsic to the fact to why we're talking about this album 10 years later. Cause I can just say like in a kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge sort of way. If the, if Steve Albini wasn't producing this album and making it seem more like a raw indie rock record than what it is, which is like kind of a really raw get up kids record. There's no way it would have been received by the, you know, indie rock community the way it was like cloud. Nothing's really benefited from that. Um, context of oh this is kind of like they're in utero as opposed to you know there's something to write home about um and you could hear that later on with life without sound which i think is a good record but it's more produced like john g would like it to and that's like the time where people for the most part kind of started taking cloud nothings for granted well okay i just want to say john g i respect the take i love i love takes like this i uh i don't agree (laughs) Uh, I, w- I would say Steve Albini really killed it on that record. It's a big part of the appeal, like the drum sound on that album, the Steve Albini drums. Uh, but I respect mm. it. I also want to say I looked it up. John G from San Diego. What? So maybe maybe Ian and John G can meet in a parking mm. lot somewhere and uh, duel it out over Steve Albini's production on uh, Attack on Memory. Uh, I- I'm going to throw out some like obvious, I think, examples yeah. here of like a producer botching a record mm-hmm. um not to pile on but jack antonoff i think after melodrama mm-hmm. uh you could pick any number of records that i feel like maybe someone else should have done it uh don was this is not indie rock this is like boomer rock oh, yeah. don was has produced so many like boomer rock icons and he always succeeds in making the most boring record and then usually daniel lenoir will come in and then make like a great record with that yeah. person um St. Vincent on that One Slater Kinney album. Uh, which I'm going to disagree with that one. Wh- wh- which one? Wh- what was that called? The again? Center Will the Not one? Hold. The Center Will Not Hold. Um, you're going to disagree. I just want to say, I mean, I, I feel like this is an obvious choice because the band fell apart yeah. during the process of this. Not blaming St. Vincent. Just maybe she was in the vicinity of this. Uh, but Janet Weiss exited the band. I know for me, and I think for many people, he she was one of the best, if not the best, part of that band. Uh, so, and and just that record generally is uh, it doesn't have that Slater Kinney energy that you know the the gnarly guitars, this the the, the punk rock energy yeah. to it. It feels more polished. Just seems like an obvious example of maybe a producer and a band not being well matched. Yeah. You disagree uh, with that? I, I don't know. I think that like St. Vincent kind of makes a convenient scapegoat. Like who know? Like who knows what direction the band really wanted to go in? Like I just get a sense from like this record and the next one that you know when you look at like all of their other outside interests that maybe uh, like I don't know if the album would be if this was these were the ideas they were bringing into the session anyway. Like I, I think it does kind of take the hook, like you know Slater Candy off the hook to think oh they you know this wasn't their idea. I don't know. All right, fair yeah. enough. Fair enough. He, By the way, I have to make a I have to make a quick correction. Yes. John G. He's from Charlotte, North what Carolina. The fuck? Well, no, in his email he said uh, the San Diego of the East Coast. <laughs> so I just looked at God. I looked at the email quickly. It's all San Diego. I got excited that he's oh, from San Diego. San Diego, no, the East Coast, Charlotte, Charlotte. North I, I don't Carol- even I don't Charlotte, even know North where Carolina. to begin unpacking that. 
All right. Well, anyway, John G., thank you for writing. This is, you've given us a lot to chew on. My my last one, and this is the one I know you're not going to yeah. like, but this honestly came to mind right away, was Dave Fridman doing Some Loud Thunder. Uh, Clap your hands, yeah. say yeah. Dave Fridman, who I, obviously, he's worked on many great yes. records. He's one of the sort of foundational indie rock producers of the last, like, 25 years mm-hmm. or so. Um, but I just feel like that record, sonically, uh, was a mess. And I, th- and, I th- and I think it's why that record, among other things, like didn't capitalize on the buzziness of the debut yeah. or, or their self-titled I, record, the one that breaks I got to disagree with that one. Like, don't get me wrong. That first, I've had a fixed version of the title track that begins the record. So I, I, I would agree in some capacity. Like where it's skipping? You know, like, it just sounds like it's, it, the tempo is faster, the less distortion. It sounds like a normal song, but like... I think if it was produced quote unquote better, it would just be the kind of uh, you know less well received clap your hands say yeah album. What Fridman did with it, it's now like interesting in a way where you can go back and like kind of uh, think like there's something noble about the self sabotage of it. Okay, well that's okay. So <laughs> look, you're, you're I, saying I that at best. So you're saying at best that he sabotage them in an interesting way yeah. that is that the argument I, here because i mean because it was the less well-received i think they record, yeah doing but it. i think that it, like the the controversially produced like abrasive second record as opposed to just the you know whatever the the next tapes and tapes album was that was just a little bit slicker <laughs> uh than the previous right. one like i don't think that if you had you know John Congleton, for example, who worked on uh, su- you know uh, subsequent Clap Your Hands Say Yeah records, or uh, whoever else, like or Ben Ben H. Allen or whatever. Like, I don't think that really would have made a difference. Like, they it would have been Fair more enough. forgettable. Now it's like it's it's something that you want to kind of stump for. So you're making the podcast host argument for it that like <laughs> because of how it is, it makes it more fun to talk about it on a podcast. Exactly, which I. I, I totally see uh, that argument. all roads all roads lead back to IndieCast. Well, so what like, like what would you say? Okay, about? so for me, uh, first off, uh, Flood. I know that you know he's produced a lot of great albums, a lot of great Smashing Pumpkins albums, Machina, Machines of God. Just some of the worst like mixing I've ever heard on a record. Like that album just kind of like oozes over you. Um, like I have no idea what he's doing on Everlasting Gaze. Like, I think maybe that's like my version of Some Loud Thunder. Um, I'll have to also bring up, like, I'm surprised you didn't bring up, uh, High Violet. Um, because I know, I know that, now I love that album and I think the terrible love on that album is fucking fantastic. But Matt Bale, like, this is a little more, you know, uh, in my in my world, Matt Bales, the guy who produced bands like Isis and uh, Caspian, uh, with Foxing's Dealer, like that to like that is to me what to you, a uh, terrible love on High Violet is. It's like super slick and very busy and orchestrated, and it just completely robs them of like the live power. Like Foxing at that time was like a typical. How come you don't like you see them live? It's like how come you don't sound like this on the record? Which they kind of fix with here, my God. Um, and also, I, I guess lastly, um, Chris Cody, another producer that I does incredible work. Uh, I'm in Dunes, Beach House, Cold Cave. <laughs> this one's notorious. Like Cold Cave's "Cherish the Light Years" uh, is the loudest album I think, uh, the loudest produced album I think I've ever heard. Just completely brick wall. Then I think. Maybe it's meant to uh, replicate like how much cocaine that band was on while making it, but it just makes it really tough to listen to. Like you can't put any of those songs on a mix because it's just uh, like twenty decibels louder than everything else. Which that doesn't sound like a fault of that. Record. Yeah, because I mean, I, I, you're making me think of like Owen Morris doing the Oasis. Yeah, maybe you're right here now. But you want that quieter? I don't think so. I think it's part of the experience. Uh, High Violet, that's a great example, although the National did that themselves. So it's like you'd have to fire the National <laughs> and put in somebody else. Um, I, I, and I don't know who that would be. Uh, put Peter Cadis so again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you could just have him. I, I mean, I assume he probably engineered yeah. it. Um, but yeah, he. But the band did that themselves. Um, 
right, let's get to the meat of our episode, and we're running long here, man, so we might have to blow through these a All little right. bit, because we had so much banter. So much. And then, and then John G. dropped the uh, Steve Albini slander, you know, which is so, yeah. so much going uh, on in this a episode. Titan of, uh, a titan of indie rock beef himself. Yeah, exactly. Um, but anyway, we're, we're talking about albums that have not been announced yeah. yet, but we hope come out in 2022, and there's been signs that they might come yeah. out. Uh, but maybe they won't. We don't know. But th- these are the records that we hope to hear. We each pick three each. Mm-hmm. Um, did you want to talk about albums that we didn't? Yeah. Pick? So just to like make it clear, like what our criteria is. Like I would say it has to be more than four years since the last album. Uh, it has to be unannounced, and it has to be a band that's not on hiatus. Like not. So I can't say, oh, I want to hear a new Fuck Buttons record, which I really do. But yeah, oh, yeah, but they're on hiatus. I also don't think the hotel year, like which would be an obvious choice for me, I don't think it's happening. Christian Holden doesn't seem like they're in the space to do it, and also I think they're a band who their legacy is perfect as is. Um, I would uh, other yeah other like and it can't like Arcade Fire. I think they're going to put out a record. That one seems like there has to be some degree of real wishful thinking about this. And there's also like the Renz record that is just like a running joke in terms of like when that's going to come out. You know, there was that Ian Station album that came out in December. So part of it came mm-hmm. out. Um, but yeah, we're not even going to talk about yeah, that one. Japan you know, Droids, hopefully it'll come like, out. maybe, but like, I, I, you know, if, 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 they, if they decide that they've run their course, like I, I just don't want them to, like the, uh, the quality control with them is high. And I just don't, I don't think I can live through like, them doing their kind of uh, you know rustic Americana record, yeah, they're almost a band. I feel like they perfected their formula, yeah. and I don't know how you could really elaborate yeah. on it. You know, I, I, I'm. I mean, I liked uh, the one after uh, Celebration. Yeah, Rock, near the heart uh, of life. Like I love that record, thought, and just def- I defending too. that record just took the life out of me. Like I, I yeah. just don't think I have it within me to just like uh, the 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 a, a mid Japan Droids record would just kill me more than like a pretty good one would enliven me. Let's just call it that. I I just think with that band. It either has to be great or it's going to be mediocre. Yeah. You know, I I don't think there's much of a middle ground yeah. at this point. Um, well, why don't you go first? What's the first record that you hope comes out in 2022? All right, so you know, uh, M83 might like they they might not. I think that Anthony Gonzalez, like I've interviewed Anthony Gonzalez, the you know the mastermind behind this band, more than any other artist I think uh, in my time, and I interviewed him once before. Hurry up, we're dreaming. And every time I interviewed him after, he was like in a successively nicer place. Um, you know, like going from his apartment to a Levi's pop up store to a big house in uh, Silver Lake. And each time he just seemed really freaked out by the success of Midnight City. And so there is a possibility of him just maybe doing soundtracks or ambient records uh, and just counting his Midnight City money or what, or all the commercial money or whatever. But I think junk kind of got that out of his system, like the I'm freaked out. Um, I think it kind of, I don't know, it detracts from like just from how 2003 to 2011, I can't think of an artist who is more designed to my taste than M83. And I think that like the time is right for them to just not like to just come back to be reappreciated again. And also I think the the decks are clear enough to just, receive an m83 album for what it is rather than like oh how much does this sound like midnight city um it's been so long since i mean it's been so long since junk came out that i i yeah wasn't there like a muppet on the cover there were a couple it it was muppets or things like that it was just the it It was kind of goofy yeah it was the uh, it was like their congratulations the mgmt album that uh Oh, uh, but no, but don't even nowhere near as good no, as, no, MG, no, no, as no. congratulations. You know, let's let's not yeah. uh, let's not compare it to a masterwork. But um, yeah, I think if they were, to, I just remember it, that record being kind of wacky, and yeah. uh, it was almost like he was consciously trying not to match Midnight City. Uh, yeah, and hurry up, I'm yeah. dreaming because it's more than just I think that song. I think that oh, record, that. but that song in general is, like, well, yeah, it's like that. 
I've said that's the best song of the 2010s, and I, I think I'm going to stand by yeah. that. I think I, I think I, if M83's got a little dark age in them, that's the latest MGMT album, which was like way better than most people realize. But oh yeah, secretly really good. Like, and I and I feel like it's uh, it's kind of like how people are talking about the last duel right now, like the last duel bomb oh. in theaters, mm-hmm. and then watching it on HBO Max, and it's like oh, this is like a good flick. That's what uh, Little Dark Age, yes. I think, was for indie rock. Um, first album I'm going to talk about, the new Sky Fiera album, Masochism. Sky Ferreira uh, or Sky Fiera? You said, you, you said, you pronounce it like Guy Fieri. <laughs> Sky Fer- How'd you Sky say Sky Ferreira. Coming back to flavor. Sky Ferreira. Sky Ferreira. Oh, God. This- <laughs> Sky Ferreira. There was a news item this week. Her mom came out and said that, the long-awaited follow-up to 2013's Nighttime My Time, which again is called Masochism. Mm-hmm. Sky Ferreira's mom said it's coming out this year. Okay. And uh, this comes after last month, Sky Ferreira posted a screenshot of Stereo Gum. They did their most anticipated albums of 2022. She posted a screenshot of the Masochism blurb and said, yeah, it's coming out in 2022. Now, um, Reason why you might be uh, skeptical of this is that in March of 2019, so almost three years ago now, Pitchfork ran a profile of Sky called Sky Sky Fieri, Fieri, Guy Fieri, called Guy Fieri Returns. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, she didn't return. She'd put out a single around that time called Downhill Lullaby. Yeah, it's a good song. Kind of like a slow, gothy song. Uh, But here we are three years later. And no new music. I feel like it's gonna happen, but I have no idea. Yeah. I, I hope it happens though. I you know, I was listening to Nighttime My Time this mm-hmm. week, and you know, we've talked a lot on this show about 2013 being a turning point in indie and the the, the, the class of indie pop stars that emerged that year, you know, uh, 1975, Heim, uh, Lord etc. Yeah. I think Nighttime My Time is my favorite record out of that generation of records you'd probably say the 1975 yeah but you know nighttime my time like that's very much you know up there um it also like that that story you you mentioned it reminds me of how like in 2015 and 16 or actually 2014 and 15 i did this enormous pitchfork profile about johnny jewel uh and how dear tommy was coming so you know take that for what it's worth well i remember that pitchfork story opens like with Sky coming out of the bathroom after she's been in there for a half hour, and it's implied that she's been crying or having some sort of, yeah. uh, you know, difficult time. And I, re- I remember reading that and thinking, like, oh, this album's not coming out for a while. You know, it it just seems like she's had a period where she just had to be out of the public eye because there was a yeah. lot of scrutiny on her and a lot of crazy things going on. And, uh, you know, take your yeah. time. It's no hurry. If you don't want to put it out this year, that that's cool. I'm just saying I hope to hear it because I think she makes great music. Um, but, yeah, so who knows? But I hope it comes yeah, out this definitive, year. Definitive, like, maybe it will, maybe not. Either way. <laughs> What's your next uh, hopeful album? All right, so I feel like this one's actually uh, – I'm, like, hesitant to put this one in there because I feel like it's definitely going to happen. Um Neon Indian is, you know, another favorite of mine. Like, all three Neon Indian albums are awesome in a completely different way. I think that, like, you know, just by nature of how little Alan Palomo tours and the association with Chill Wave and the fact that, um, you know, his last album came out in 2015, he's very undervalued. Um, I saw that he contributes to the new Tori Moi album and a guy who's been very consistent. But, um, yeah, I think that, like, the time, like, he... Every time that Neon Indian comes back, it's like the right time, like the exact right time. Also, he like put out a song. I, he like put out one of the only good uh, anti-Trump songs, uh, and it was just a single. And um, yeah, I think it was called Toyota Man. Um, it was it was actually a good song, and like that in enough in and of itself is reason to hope that uh, he comes back soon because you know. It's sort of like new metal, chill wave, like every so often people talk about, oh yeah, it's making a comeback or whatever. But I think that Neon Indian is just an artist who, you know, I love chill wave, but like transcends it. And 
Um, I just re- like really, really want to know what he's up to because otherwise, like, what the heck has he been doing the past seven years? You know, like, what is Neon Indians day to day? Don't you feel that unlike new metal, that chill wave never really went away? It's just that the people stopped using that term. Yeah, because I feel like I feel like the influence of that just got absorbed by pop yeah. music, and you can hear the influence everywhere. Yeah. Kind of like how disco at the end of the seventies, people didn't want to associate with disco because of the backlash but obviously that had a huge influence on pop music in the 80s they just didn't call it disco yeah. anymore i feel like that's what happened with with chill wave yeah don't you think yeah. i mean so um maybe neon indian would have to overcome the baggage that people have yeah. with the genre in the same way that like the bgs did <laughs> you know after the 70s yeah. or when whatever. is neon indian but making got... his uh sergeant pepper's movie Oh man, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I'm not as deep on neon neon Indian as you are, but like I enjoy those records too. It's it's just like electronic indie pop. I mean, you it's very hard, I think, to dislike. He just he's very skilled at what he does. Uh, speaking of a band that is very hard to dislike, yes. my next record that I hope to hear, and I, I feel confident will come out this year, is the new record from Always. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. uh, the, uh, the reigning, I think, kings or queens of uh, royalty, let's Canadian just call them. sad indie. Yeah. Yes, royalty. Sad indie, jangly guitar pop royalty. Um, they haven't had a new record since 2017 when their second album, Anti-Socialites, came out. They only have two albums overall. Their debut, uh, self-titled debut, came out in 2014. Yeah. So uh, there was a three-year gap between record one and record two. Now we're coming up on a five-year gap between record two and record three. Like Japan Droids. <laughs> uh, always did debut two new songs mm. in October when they opened up for The Strokes in Los Angeles. And you can find those songs on YouTube. Uh, they're called Mirrors and After the Earthquake. And guess what? They're really beautiful and wistful indie pop songs. Really well done. They sound great. They sound like always. Uh, it just makes me think that the third record is going to continue the uh, you know the formula of the first two records, which is perfectly fine by me because... They do that thing, I think, as well or better than anyone uh, right now. And you know, just to contrast them with uh, with Sky uh, F- Ferrera, okay. Ferrera, Ferrera. Thank you, Sky Ferrera. See, I have a mental block now where I'm just gonna mispronounce it every single time. Um, you know, Sky has like a high ceiling and a low floor, whereas always it's a tighter box. But I just feel like they're wired to always make excellent indie pop records every three to five years so this is an album again it hasn't been announced i wouldn't be surprised if there's a press release that comes out the minute we (laughs) drop this podcast or it could be six months from now but i uh, i'm i'm sure this record will be coming out this year and i'm sure it'll probably end up being one of my favorite albums of 2022 when it comes out yeah the thing about always is that like low-key there's i don't i don't know too many bands who have been ripped off or like compared to more than always like there are so many bands out there kind of doing an all like since 2017 or even further back like since the first always record doing like an always sort of thing where it's a little jangly it's a little indie pop it's you know and it sounds like always but it's nowhere near as good and I can think of few types of music that have flooded my inbox more fully than fake always. Yeah, so. and, I, and I think with a band like this, it's always deceptive when you listen to them. You feel like, oh, why would it take a band five years yeah. to follow up a record that sounds like this? Because it seems easy, it seems simple, but you're right. There's so many bands maybe lulled into the sense that it is easy to do, that have tried to do what they do, and it just underscores that, no, in fact, it's actually really hard <laughs> to make mm-hmm. a record that simple, that pretty, also be distinctive. And uh, they just knock it out of the park every time. So I am excited for a new record. I think it's going to be coming this year. Yeah. Uh, what's your last hopeful record for 2022? I mean, I... I, I, I I, I don't even know if this record is going to be any good. I'm just sort of tired of having it teased. And I think you have like a comparative one on your end as well. But we've been hearing about a new The Cure album since... Like, I mean, the last one was 2008, 413 Dream. 
I listened to that maybe once. Um, and like Robert Smith's the type of person who will say, yeah, we've got like two records in the bag right now and we're going to release them. This is going to be our darkest one since pornography. And I mean, the track record isn't really great. I think they've made one good song since 2000. Like I love blood flowers, but lost from the raw, they made a record with Ross Robinson. Uh, that was one incredible song and the rest was pretty terrible. Um, I don't think that Robert Smith has inspiration to do anything other than Robert Smith karaoke. But that being said, I, I'm more interested in, hey, let's talk about The Cure, like as a, not just an IndieCast episode, but I think that sometimes people forget like how fucking awesome that band was and could be. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. So, well, we were talking I mean, about The Smiths earlier. And, uh, yeah. you know, the cure of the Smiths, they had a, a feud going for a while. And yeah. people compare them. I think the Smiths are the, the Smiths are the blur. The cure is the oasis. That's, that's one, a right? great analogy. And, and I will say, I think similar to those bands that in the day, the connoisseurs band was the Smiths and the cure were more of like the high school kid band. But yeah. I feel like now that if you, and this is purely anecdotal, I mean, the, the, a lot of people <laughs> still love the Smiths. And I love the Smiths too, just for the record. Yeah. Um, but I feel like the Cure has more cachet now, don't you? Yeah. Like with younger maybe. people, I feel like they're the band that is more likely to attract a younger audience. Maybe because they still will play like Riot Fest and things like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they they put yeah. themselves in front of a young audience, and to see the Cure just do a a concert of hits, I mean, that'd be, that's well, pretty awesome. I saw it. Yeah, in 2019, I think it was 2019, thereabouts, I saw they did something called Pasadena Daydream, which uh, was a concert. They had uh, Pixies there, Deftones, Twilight Sad. Um, it's like a lot of bands who follow in the the mode of The Cure. And, you know, they played hits. They played a couple of, uh, you know, they played deep cuts. It's, I don't know. Like, I just think that, like, to continue their... Uh, you know, their their imperial phase, like whether it's doing a stadium tour, like just make an excuse, you know, play the first song on the new record first and then just play the hits. That's all I ask. Yeah. 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 I'd be, I'd be curious to hear a new Cure record. I mean, as long as you have that, that Cure guitar sound and you have Robert Smith's yeah. vocal, you're like 80% of the way there. Just write like yeah. a decent song and it'll be listenable. So, you know, <laughs> that's not the highest praise in the world. I don't world, ask for much. But yeah, I would, you know. Like, and, I don't want poor, I don't want to, I don't need disintegration. Just give me, like, another Blood Flowers and I'll be good. So, uh, my last band is another veteran act that's been around the block. A sad indie canon uh, act, for sure. My Bloody Valentine. Um, as you might remember, Kevin Shields did an interview in March 2021 with friend of the podcast Jeremy Gordon for the New York Times. And in that interview, he said he was working on two new albums. One, <laughs> a, a warm and melodic, those were his words, more straightforward, My Bloody Valentine record, and another more experimental record. And this coincided with My Bloody Valentine album showing up on streaming platforms for the first time. Um, the last My Bloody Valentine record came out in 2013, uh, so we're coming up on nine years now. That's a really good album. That was the first Great. My Bloody Valentine record in 22 years. Yes. So we might have another 13 years before we hear these records. And that's mm-hmm. assuming that they come out at the same time. Maybe you know, one of those records will come out 13 years from now, and then the other record will come out 22 years after that, uh, and we'll all be dead, but it'll just... There'll be like Kevin Shields' children will be working on it. And then that's how it'll come out. Um, like the Wolfgang Van Halen of Shoegaze or whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, so I have no idea if this will come out. But I do have faith, actually, that it will be good just because MB, MBV, the 2013 record, it just seemed like, oh, they just picked up where they left off. I, this, this, this record could have come out in 1994. And it would have made sense. It doesn't sound like it's been labored over for more than two decades. So, uh, yeah, it would be great to have one, if not two, new My Bloody Valentine records in the world. I mean, the fact that he said two albums 
Yeah. It does make me more pessimistic because I'm like, you probably have one album and you have to fuse those together somehow. Yeah. Uh, so like I have two albums is like a total Robert Smith sort of thing. <laughs> That's like what you say when you're kind of full of shit. Yeah. Or that you just have like a lot of ideas, but it hasn't like cohered into a, you know, real album yet. You just have like yeah. a lot of tracks floating around and you don't know how to fit them together yet. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. You know, I, yeah. I, I would love for like there to be like a use your illusion one and two from my <laughs> bloody Valentine. That'd be amazing. Um, but yeah, we're already a year almost after that interview, so I don't know. Who knows? But I would love to be surprised and uh, you know have some new Bloody Valentine dropped on me this year. Yeah, you know, just anything like the Cure of My Bloody Valentine that puts olds like us in charge of the narrative for like, you know, a day or two. All right, we've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right, so the album I want to talk about is uh, Cloakroom's new album, Dissolution Wave. Uh, they're a band that uh, I've loved since the start. You know, they combine mid- – they, they come – their roots are in Midwestern emo, but they've gone more for like kind of a stoner rock, hum, plus Magnolia Electric Company uh, type slow core you know, very Midwestern rustic sort of thing. Um, right up Indy Cass Alley. So this new album, even more so, like, because I think this might appeal more towards uh, Steve, is that it's uh, a space Western in which an act of theoretical physics wipes out all of humanity's existing art and abstract thought. Oh, love it. Look, it's, yeah. I, sounds like a Rush I, look, record. I can't, exactly. Now, look, when I listen to the lyrics, I can't really tell. Uh, Doyle Martin, the guy who's the lead singer, they're very buried. But I think this is a record for people who are interested in Cloakroom, but like maybe couldn't get past the fact that most of their songs were like six or seven minutes and the albums were about an hour long. So it's shorter, it's punchier. Um, it actually is more of a grower than the previous two records, both of which were awesome. Uh, highly recommend listening to Further Out if you haven't yet. But you know, I I just think out of it's really hard in the same way that like it's hard for non always bands to do what always does. There's a lot of like heavy shoegaze music being made right now that's nowhere near as good as Cloakroom. So this is their first album in five years. I think it's fantastic. Uh, if you listen to any cast, I'm sure you will too. Yeah, I I like this band a lot. And you know, you talk about the shoegaze thing. I almost feel like they also have like a Black Sabbath aspect of them like oh like, yeah there's one song that's total sabbath on this one they're more you know a lot of shoegaze bands they lean on the ethereal side and cloakroom yeah. is more or they sound like bad death tones <laughs> yeah this band is more just like heavy bottom end kind of doom metal almost shoegaze yeah. type stuff uh yeah really cool band i like cloakroom um then i want to talk about is a band from austin texas they're called good looks and this is a band that i heard about Several months ago, uh, the publicist reached out to me and said, I think this is a band you would like. They're a Heartland Rock type band. And, and they said that to you? Yes, they did. And they yeah. reached out and they sent me a clip of a video for a song called uh, Almost Automatic that was finally released this week as a single. And I saw the video and like the band is literally playing in a cow pasture, which is like <laughs> very Heartland Rock. Um, but the record uh, that... Uh, is going to be coming out in April. It's called Bummer Year. I think it's actually like a really good record. And, um, you know, when we talk about Heartland Rock now, I feel like it's usually code for music that sounds like Born in the USA. You know, sort of synthy sounding, uh, anthemic rock. And uh, Good Looks actually reminds me more of this band. And I don't know if anyone remembers this band, the Bodines from Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> who is a band I, I unequivocally love. I think they're a great band. Of course you do. They're sort of like a rootsy rock band, not synthy at all. But like in the 80s, they were described as Heartland Rock. And Good Looks, I think, has that. How have you not said where the Bodies are actually from? I yet? said Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Uh, they're from Wisconsin. And um, where it's kind of vibey sounding guitar and like harmony vocals and and. Yeah. Where, again, it's not about, like, the synthy type thing. It's more of, like, a down-home thing, and you're writing about small-town life. 
And, uh, you know, that kind of thing, it connects with me. And apparently that's my brand because now people are saying to me, hey, this band does that. We think you'll like this. And it it turns out that I do like it. So uh, you want to go and check out Almost Automatic. That's the first song on the record. It's the first single. Bummer year. It comes out in April. Worth checking out. Worth looking forward to. I, there's probably going to be more singles from it. But put that band on your radar called Good Looks. Yeah, I think it's funny that like the the guy said it's like, hey, I think this might be up your alley because they did the same thing for me. It's like, hey, you, you we we don't think most of the stuff on our label really you know fits what you're into, but I think this band does. This like label also does like Buck Meeks solo albums and such. And when you if you go to the 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 Keeled Scales website and it's got a picture of Good Looks on there, it looks like Pup. But like they're all smiling, right? <laughs> it's it's a real. They're all they all got dad hats, and they're all like kind of similar in height and you know shape to pup. But they're all smiling. So I can. Oh, this is definitely Steve and Hayden music. Yep, good stuff. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com/backslash/indie. And I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. 